0: Not everything has to make money. Many times you may find if you do the thing that you love, mm-hmm. it may turn into money later, or it may turn into some sort of community or platform later that can be leveraged. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to always start with the idea of making money. You can start with the idea of following your passion and following your joys.
1: Welcome to Gladiatrix. I am woman and hear me roar. I'm your host, Melanie Sarla. Every week, I will be speaking with women from all over the world who will be sharing their journeys, their stories about overcoming their fears and achieving great things that they thought they never could. So if you don't want to miss a story, make sure you subscribe. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the amazing, beautiful, badass women who have been guests on the show. I had a mission to travel to every country in the world. But since that didn't work out, my new mission is to speak to at least one woman from every country in the world. There are 193 countries, and I still have at least 180 to go. So if you know of somebody who has an amazing story to tell, let me know. I'm all ears. You can reach me on Instagram at Malini Sarma, on my website, MaliniSarma.com, or on Facebook at Malini Sarma, M-A-L-I-N-I-S-A-R-M-A. In today's episode, we're speaking with Trish Agile Roberts. Trish is a self-actualization coach and a happiness expert she left her corporate job in finance and sales to author three self-help books. In this episode, she talks about what prompted her to leave her corporate job, the affirmation that she uses every day, and the steps to mind-blowing happiness. And this is her story. Hey Trish, thank you so much for joining my show. I'm so excited to hear all about your story. I'm excited to be here, Molly. Thank Looking you. Looking forward for- to getting started. Oh, yes. So yes. let's drive right in. So you were born and brought up in the U.S., but your parents are from the Caribbean. Uh, yes. So tell me a little bit more about your experience, you know, growing up, especially as a uh, first gen, you know, in New York City. Yeah. How, was, how did that?
0: So, you know, it's funny. New York is such a kind of microcosm of the world. Um, our neighborhood was predominantly Caribbean. And then with a piece or a slice of Hasidic Jew. (laughs) Okay. So it was kind of this almost like two worlds side by side. Um, But I never felt out of place being Caribbean American because that was predominantly what my community was. So my father was from Jamaica and my mother was from St. Lucia, but we grew up in an area with a lot of, um, you know, Haitian and just a lot of Caribbean, Hispanic. Yeah. So
1: this so school was pretty much uh, most immigrant kids. You know, it was not like it was pretty much this, it, it, like you said, microcosm of the universe.
0: Yeah, well, it. I guess the interesting dichotomy that that struck me later in life was that my community was predominantly um, black and Caribbean American, but the power structures were predominantly not. So, ah. yeah, so most of my teachers, the principal, assistant principal, school administrators, I was raised Catholic, which was a little different, I guess, for African-Americans, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that was kind of based on the Caribbean roots. Mm-hmm. But in the Catholic church, same thing, you know, predominantly um, white priests and nuns. And mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. so it was a big deal if, if we ever got um, diversity in positions of
1: authority right right yeah. oh i could imagine so so growing up because i know how it is you know especially in the asian community but in 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 your case too because your parents came over uh from you know from the caribbean what was their expectation like you growing up like do you just like ours it was like oh you got to be a doctoral lawyer engineer one of those or was it like oh yeah sure go find yourself <laughs> no we weren't we were not gonna go find ourselves <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not an option. So in my in my family, and I, I write about it in my memoir, um, but in my family, it was basically doctor, lawyer, or business person. Okay. Yeah, and I guess I I ended up going the business route, mm-hmm. but I didn't I didn't think I had a lot of options. Um, but then at the same time, it it was was pretty good because I grew up after the women's movement here. Mm-hmm. So we were moving away from what we used to call pink collar work, you know, so it was mm-hmm. like there were better options than secretary, teacher, right. you know, those, mm-hmm. or at so, least that's what we were taught. I don't know if it's really true, but.
1: Right, right. So, so growing up, who were your biggest role models? You
0: know, it's funny. Um, I think the first thing that pops into my mind for that are my parents, mm-hmm. And then the second thing that pops into my mind is that there was so little media representation. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I could really identify a significant role model. I remember when um, I read Maya Angelou's work, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Mm-hmm. I think I was in middle school and I really identified with her. So I guess I kind of latched on to that. But it's it's the same thing that we see, you know, across all communities that are mm-hmm. um, with ethnic diversity that a lot of times we just don't
1: see ourselves represented. True. True. So going to college, I mean, so that was a big deal in your family, um, you know, deciding where to go. Where, did you have a lot of help? What were some of the deciding factors? You know, was it like money played a big role, scholarship, location? How did you how did you figure out where you want to go to college?
0: Um. So. Actually, I, I do want to say one more thing about role models, if that's
1: okay. Sure, sure, go ahead. Because I'm
0: thinking back about the role model thing, because I said my parents, but I also grew up really not wanting to be like my parents, which uh-huh. I guess a lot of people do, uh-huh. I imagine, because it yes. was like this very traditional, I always call them like a 1950s couple, right, you know, right, right, like right. they had a sweet, long marriage, but dad was the boss and mom took care of the house. And I just kind of didn't really want either one of those roles, mm-hmm, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um so it made me think about that. But college for me was a little different. I grew up with, um, I experienced some trauma in my childhood mm-hmm. and I was dying to get out of my parents' house. So what's funny was um, <clears throat> I started working when I was 17 full time
1: okay. mm-hmm.
0: and I met a guy and I told my parents I wanted to live with him. Mm-hmm. And they said, basically you're not going to be living in sin. <laughs> right. Of course. With all my Catholic <laughs> background. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> so they, they said, well, you know, you should get married. And I was like married. I'm 18. I don't think that's a good idea. And they was kind of like, Oh, but we'll get you lots of gifts and stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up getting married really young. Okay. And divorced really young. Okay. Um, and, um, then going off to college while I was working, so okay.
1: that's, how, that's so. So how when I you went that. to college, so when you went to college, uh, did you have to pay for your own college?
0: So I thought I was smart, so I made sure to get a job where they had tuition reimbursement, that's
1: and that's what smart. I did. Yeah, so very I paid smart. a little, mm-hmm. but
0: not a lot at all. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: okay. And that, I had the that's oppor- really smart.
0: And I had the opportunity to travel to Japan and Hong Kong. When I was in school, which was pretty amazing too. So wow! I did a job for for yeah. a kid who ran out of
1: the house, got married, and went to <laughs> high school. Uh, oh, that is awesome, though. So, <laughs> what was in college? What was your experience? Because now you said you went to you went to study business. So you are here. You are a young black woman, you know, from New York City, and you're going to college now. You're working, and they're paying for it. What was, um, you know, is somebody going to going through that experience uh, of somebody with, it, uh, who has immigrant parents, what was your biggest takeaway, uh, when you graduated?
0: I mean, I, again, I would say that I was in a community where there was a lot of Caribbeans. So that part was not, you know, I went to school okay. with a lot of, yeah, okay. it, it wasn't a predominantly white institution. Um, okay. it was still predominantly black, but mm-hmm. I would say that the, um, it was the same thing with the power structure. So the power structure was still, you know. So what were the yeah. other
1: people who in your uh, cohort or in your graduating class, what were they going to do after they graduated? Um, well, we were all working people,
0: you know, ah, okay. and I was actually much younger because I was always kind of a little rebel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I might have been 19 and I had people in school with me who might have been 35. You know, Mm -hmm. so it was just like a wide range of ages Mm -hmm. and people doing all kinds of of work because some of it was people who were, um, you know, had been working for a while who wanted to go back and get an education.
1: So that's actually pretty cool because, you know, I think um, the U.S. is probably one of the few countries I've seen where you have that wide range of ages for people going to college because, most at least when growing up, it was like, oh, after the age of twenty-five, you couldn't go to university because you, ah. have, you you have, you met you haven't met the cutoff or you know you're supposed to have these many years of schooling or whatever. So, I I, <laughs> al- you- I, I always find that very fascinating. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You can go to school at the age of 75 and learn stuff, right? You can, but you (laughs) never stop learning.
0: But you just gave me a memory when I, um, when we took that trip to Japan, we were hosted by this family and, you know, maybe there were 20 of us, me and my classmates who had dinner there. And some of them were older and the couple was very perplexed. (laughs) They were just like, these are not students.
1: Who are these old people? (laughs) Oh, that's funny. So you ended up working in the finance industry. So how did you end up? How did you end up there? Was that part of the job that you were working at before college? How did this happen to me? (laughs) How how did you get there? So first I ran out of
0: my parents' house. (laughs) Um, So Let me see. So I was working at a financial institution, actually, when I went to school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I finished, I ended up in um, corporate sales. I was actually at a telecom firm for a while. Um, And then I had my daughter. He got married again, had my daughter, um, open to business. I've done all these crazy things, right? I love it. I (laughs) think I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. So I bought a a franchise and I had that for a few years. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up having to close it down. You know, it was difficult. It didn't work out. I lost money in it. I was devastated. And I ended up moving to um, Atlanta where my sister was living And I always had it in the back of my head that I wanted to get into financial services when I was working for the telecom firm, Mm -hmm. because all my clients were finance firms. Ah. I was in that area. So we used to have like, um, I don't know, the Charles Schwab account Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. So um, yes, when I came to Atlanta, I decided to get into financial services. And I did that for about 13 years before um, going back on my own again, Mm -hmm. really before getting the courage to go on my own again and this time not as a franchise with my own visions.
1: So, That's pretty cool. So when you were in the financial um, industry, you know, doing that, what what was the thing that you loved and what was the thing that you hated about it? I loved helping people. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved running
0: financial planning software because it's just amazing. would run all these different um, tools and you could just extrapolate 40 years into the future and, it was great. Mm-hmm. So that was my favorite part, the relationships with the people and helping them put these things together and also providing a financial education, particularly mm-hmm. for women and particularly marginalized women, mm-hmm. because we don't typically get that growing up. Mm-hmm. So that was really exciting. And then I started focusing on socially responsible investing mm-hmm. and um, got involved in microfinance as well as a mm-hmm. charity you know mm-hmm. so yeah so it was really still all about building up women and educating women mm-hmm. um but at the end of the day
1: i was still working for someone else's vision you know right right mm-hmm. so you now run your own business I so do. um so what what prompted you to kind of leave because you were like in you know you were working for 13 years i mean that's a significant amount of time so what prompted you to like like, that's it. I'm, I'm going to do it on my own now. What, what, what happened?
0: Yeah. I mean, the reality was I had been working in an industry that didn't want me or appreciate me for a long time. And I was always the kind of person where I could do it. I could do it. You know, I know I'm smart enough. I know I'm talented. I've got the energy, the personality, whatever I could do it. And I just kept banging against that wall Mm -hmm. And I banged against it for so many years. I just reached a point where I'm like, why am I killing myself to Mm -hmm. make, (laughs) to make a kind of an industry or organization, um, really see me, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, and just to give you an idea, there have been in my career, I would say at least three class action lawsuits in my in my time, yeah. Wow. So I I only say that because you know it's easy for us to say, oh, they were racist, they were sexist, whatever. But it's different when there's actually court decisions mm-hmm. that document that, because mm-hmm. then it, honestly, it helped me because I
1: was like, okay, so I'm not crazy, <laughs> right? You're not imagining this, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. Because yes. otherwise, you're like, wait, that's how you it, feel it in my head. Yeah. yeah. That's what they call gaslighting, where they make you think that, you know, you're crazy when actually it's, it, it is true. But, and I, and it's very common, especially, you know, with women and women of color is like, the, and you're like, wait, oh, yeah, I can totally relate. I mean, I know so many women who just quit their jobs because they couldn't handle it anymore.
0: It's crazy. It it really, it really did help me that that Mm -hmm. that happened because you're right. And I never thought about it that way as gaslighting, but it is totally gaslighting. Mm -hmm. So um, the last firm that I was with, I was already um, a contractor, you know, 1099 worker. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I was gradually (laughs) slowly moving away. And I finally reached a point where I was, I said, you know, I might as well just go ahead and and give it a try again for myself. You know, I was hurt when I had to close the franchise years ago. Mm -hmm. So I really had to think because sometimes we get burned once and we think I'm never doing that again. Mm -hmm. And that's what I said for years. And I finally had to say, you know what? One, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I know more now than I know then. And being a franchise owner is in a lot of ways like being an employee because you're following someone else's business model.
1: Ah, okay, okay. So I had to allow all of that to set in and say, I could do it and now I'm so excited. That's That's awesome. So (laughs) you have worked for somebody else, you've had your own franchise, you're doing your own business. I mean, you've pretty much done, you know, in in all different ways of earning money, right? Whether it's somebody else pays you or you pay yourself, so what was some of the significant money-related information that you know now that you wish you had known before?
0: I think the biggest thing for me was understanding how to invest, mm. you know? So I'm glad that I was um, able to spend those years as a financial advisor uh, because early in my career, it was all very mysterious to me. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was kind of the the biggest thing that I feel like I, I'm glad that I learned. Did I say that right? I
1: feel like- yes, you did <laughs> okay. about investing. But yeah. what what money um, money related information would you like to know now?
0: Um, The thing, I mean, the nice thing for me is because I worked in investing for so many years, Mm -hmm. I feel really confident about my uh, financial knowledge. As a matter Mm -hmm. of fact, I get a lot of questions from Mm -hmm. folks asking me to do workshops Mm -hmm. and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't feel like I need anything as far as which is really nice, actually, you know, so when it's not common calls and all the money comes, I know exactly (laughs) what to do with it.
1: (laughs) I love that. Because, you know, it's a you're probably one of the few people I know that is so confident about where where you are and what you can do with your money, because most people don't, you know, because they're like not one, they're petrified, because they have no idea. And second is they're like, Oh, what do I do now? Because they haven't even they have, they don't have the background or they don't know where to start. So it's a lot to know. Yeah. But I I was
0: doing it for 13 years. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm.
1: So as now you you said you have a daughter. So as a mother um, of a, you know, of a daughter, what were some of the things that you taught your daughter that you think, you know, was important for her to know that you did not know when you were growing up? One of the first
0: things was kind of where we started that you have options. Mm -hmm. you know, that you can follow your passion. Um, And then I always tell her um, something that my parents didn't tell me, but I would tell her you could be a Renaissance girl. So -hmm. you don't have to choose one thing. Like a lot of times it's like, you have to choose that one major, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And it's that one thing. Um, And I think the third thing is that uh, not everything has to make money. Many times you may find if you do the thing that you love, mm-hmm. it may turn into money later, or it may turn into some sort of community or platform later that can be leveraged. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to always start with the idea of making money. You can start with the
1: idea of following your passion and following your joys. I think that's very uh, profound because I don't think very many people realize that because they are everything they think that everything that they have to do has to make money otherwise they're not anybody you know they're not they, they haven't made it if there is no money involved but there's so much of uh wealth in everything else that we do health you know oh my goodness, and, and the yeah. knowledge and all of that right so what does your daughter think about your entrepreneurial journey is she an entrepreneur too <laughs> <laughs> you know it's kind
0: of hilarious because she's a sophomore in college now and she just changed her major from biology to computer science and she said oh my goodness mom i'm so happy she's like now both of us are so happy so it's, <laughs> <kind of laughs> it's like mommy and daughter finally figured out what we want to be when we grow up <laughs> that is awesome as long as she's happy <laughs> but she's totally getting the message about working with passion, you know, you and, and just love, loving and enjoying what you do. So,
1: oh, that's awesome, though. So does she want to become an entrepreneur? Or is she, you she know, hasn't thought that far? She
0: hasn't really thought that far. But in my mind, you know, building my empire, I want her to work for me one day. But she has to work for someone else first, because otherwise, I don't know. I don't (laughs) think. I don't think she'll really do any work
1: if it's just just of school. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you've come a long way. You know, you you've dabbled in everything, a little bit of everything. You've tried it all. You figured out what you want to do. I mean, now you're like so. It's like there's almost like a. Uh, you have a glow around you when you, when you, when you, you're just like at peace with yourself because you're happy doing what you're doing and it doesn't matter how things go, you'll figure it out. Right. So looking at all that and, you know, if somebody came to you, if I came to you and asked you, it was like, I want to follow my dream. What would you tell me? What advice would oh,
0: you give me? I have a lot of advice, but the, uh... One thing that I tell people, cause I, you know, I write all about my, I have a book out now called 12 steps to mind blowing happiness, which is Ooh. all about self-actualization, right? Mm-hmm. So there's steps, but I always tell people now, listen, don't go walking off your job tomorrow and telling them that Trish told you to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, however, if you have an hour, two hour, five hours a week to spend on your dream, then Everybody can do that. You know, even if you have kids sleeping in bed, you can do it while they're sleeping. You could do it in the bathroom. I know if anybody has kids, you know, you might have to lock yourself in a closet. You know? But but don't give it up. You know, don't give it up. I'll tell you a, a quick little story. I wrote my first book. I wrote a novel in 1995 mm-hmm. at the time you know, I couldn't get it published. I still want to do something with it because it's a first generation Caribbean mm-hmm. story. Right. And in 20 years, I still haven't seen anything like this on TV or anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, I could not get a publisher to accept it. I didn't really know what I was doing anyway. I think mm-hmm. I was just sending out a bunch of letters. Um, I stopped writing for 20 years. Okay. And I say that just to say, don't do what I did. Like I like how you said, I sampled everything for you already. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I already sampled the thing where you stopped doing the thing that you want to do. Okay, Like, even if it's a couple of hours a week,
1: you can you can make progress with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so basically, don't give up. it's, It's interesting how, you know, we almost try everything, and then we come back full circle to where we started. And that just makes us the happiest.
0: You know, but not everybody does that though. Probably you do that. And I do that. Cause I, I get oh, the sense we're both a little crazy, right? At least we are, <laughs> Or at least risk takers, yes. you know, I mean, I know yes, that I'm sure. totally a risk taker and I've mm-hmm. done all the like skydiving and what else I like, hang gliding, like I've, I've done all that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And I think for me, that's how I learn, mm-hmm. you know, but um, those full circle moments, like what you're talking about, they are really, really, really sweet.
1: Yes, I completely agree. So now looking back, knowing what you know now, what would you have told your younger self? So
0: I wrote an affirmation that I actually used to create um, my, my little online ebook that you mm-hmm. guys can find on my, my website. But it's wake up with gratitude, mm-hmm. nourish your mind, body, and spirit. hmm work with passion, rest completely, repeat daily. And it took me a while to figure that out, that whole, because it almost takes you through the whole, mm-hmm. you know, um, but yeah, if my younger self knew that, she probably would <laughs> <kind of> have <laughs> kind of kept out of trouble and gotten more done, but, um, and been happier too. Because I think waking up with gratitude is something that I have to have in my mind every morning, mm-hmm. you know, because some days are little, yeah yeah you know Mm -hmm. and just remembering that if you're waking up you're winning right because not everybody's going to wake up tomorrow morning so if you start off the day waking up you're doing good (laughs) and then just kind of take it from there but
1: no i i agree attitude of gratitude absolutely it makes a big difference huge difference that's really cool so now you do uh you do coaching and uh, you, you've written a couple books and you have a website. So would you want to tell people about all your s- cool stuff? Yeah. And
0: how can so I get a hold of you? I wrote three books last year to make up for the 20. Years when I wasn't <laughs> <writing>. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> And I have a, I have a, a new book in the works coming up. So I'm, I'm making up for lost time now. But um, yes, yeah, so my company is mind blowing happiness, LLC. And I call myself the Chief happiness officer. Uh, but basically, what we do are self help books. So it's all based on what mind blowing happiness for me is self actualization. So it's really just reaching the highest level of joy and fulfillment in your life. And I really want to teach. And in inspire and empower women so that they can learn how to do that because it took me a long time to learn Mm -hmm. it for myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of shortening the project for other people. Um, So we offer books, the coaching services and also group coaching. So I just finished up a cohort with my, I call it passion quest group coaching. Um, So it's a bunch of amazing women who are looking for, you know, their passion and their purpose, because so many people like myself and probably like you at some point as well, we were kind of doing the, whatever our parents told us we were supposed to do, you Mm -hmm. know, and we really never thought about what we were really passionate about. Um, And then the, the third, part of the business is events. Mm. So I host typically, I call them plant based yoga infused events.
1: Ooh,
0: I know. But but, you know, we didn't really do much last year. So we're kind of, you know, tiptoeing back into it. Now that um, COVID is starting to kind of wind down a little bit. But you can find me at mindblowinghappiness.com. And you can download the Mind-Blowing Happiness Guide to Self-Care there for free. And um, on social media, you know, if you look it's at Mind-Blowing low. Happiness or Trish Agel Roberts, yeah, you will find me. The thing is, nobody can spell Ajel. So if you look for Mind-Blowing Happiness, <laughs> it makes it a lot easier.
1: Okay. Oh, the, next, the next Passion Quest cohort starts uh, August 18th. Very cool. So that, that's really awesome, uh, Trish. And thank you so much for being here today. I love hearing your story. It's so much fun. You have, you know, <laughs> even though you've probably been through like so much in your life, it just sounds like just another adventure. And I think it is the attitude with how you approach, uh, you know, everything that comes to you that just makes it fun. You got, the thing is, you got to get the lesson. You know,
0: because there's there's always adversity. But once you get the lesson, then it's like, okay.
1: And if you don't get the lesson, it'll keep coming back until you get the lesson. That's the truth. Yep. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Melanie. Oh, no, thank you. And I will be talking to you soon. (laughs) Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you love the show, please leave a review. Just remember, you could be one story away from being inspired.